Coming up, Father Frank Pavone on what it means to respect the sanctity of human life. Welcome to another Real American Heroes Special Edition. I'm Oliver North. Our guest today is Father Frank Pavone. Father Pavone is the National Director and Chairman of the Board for Priests for Life. Father Pavone is one of the most prominent pro-life leaders in the world. He travels throughout the country preaching against abortion. He's also the author of several books, including this one right here, Abolishing Abortion, How You Can Play a Part in Ending the Greatest Evil of Our Day. It's an issue that's going to be front and center for all of what's going on. It's available at abolishingabortion.com. Father Pavone, thank you for joining us today, and thank you for your stand for the sanctity of human life. Well, Colonel North, it is an honor to be with you. Thank you for having me on, and uh, just so great to talk with you again. Well, this is such a great cause, and I, I admire what you're doing out there. I've, as you probably know, I've spent a lot of time traveling around the country speaking on behalf of the sanctity of human life. Yes. Now, most clergy serve in a particular congregation, but you've got a worldwide ministry focused on ending abortion. How did you become such a lead in this effort? Well, you know, I was ordained by Cardinal John O'Connor of New York, and he, of course, was a great champion for the unborn, always making it clear that abortion is the number one moral issue of our time. He fanned the flames uh, of this issue within my own heart. I had already been involved in the pro-life movement since high school. I was really awakened to it at the March for Life in Washington in 1976. It was the third annual March for Life. And I just came away from that event realizing, wow, this is big. This is important. Cardinal O'Connor ordained me. I served in a parish for several years. But, you know, I had what I describe as a call of conscience. I was very happy doing parish work. But I came to realize that <clears throat> I was being called to serve full time to protect the unborn and to bring an end to abortion. And I approached the cardinal and I said, may I do this? Uh, and he said, yes, that was in 1993. I responded to that, that calling within my calling. And as you mentioned, I mean, most priests, they're, they're focused on a particular parish or maybe they're in a school or serving in a, in a hospital as a chaplain. But I get to serve the unborn and the pro-life movement across the country and around the world and have been given permission to do that since 1993. You know, you not only fight to end abortion, but you also work to heal those who are wounded by it. In other words, the women who've had them and the men who made them pregnant. Tell us about that. You know, the, of all the abortions ended today, the work of healing the wounds will have only just begun. And of course, the first victim is the baby who is killed, but that mom is not sometimes, not most of the time, but always wounded. The fathers are wounded as well. They bear terrible guilt and grief. And some of them tried to stop the abortion, but couldn't. And that's a grief that needs to be processed also. The grandparents are wounded, the siblings, the whole family, the whole society. And even those who carry out the abortions, the, the clinic workers, they experience a great wound. So we operate, we oversee the world's largest ministry for healing these wounds. There's a retreat program called Rachel's Vineyard, and there is a, also an opportunity for those that have experienced healing to share their stories, to tell the world how bad the experience of abortion was and how they found hope and healing 
through the church and through the pro-life movement. That's called Silent No More, the Silent No More awareness campaign. So I'm privileged to serve both of those ministries as pastoral director, and boy, is it making a difference. You know, there are a few voices more persuasive uh, than uh, those who have actually been through this and can speak to others, first to dissuade them from doing it, and secondly, for those who have done it and might feel despair, to say to them, there is hope, there is healing. Look, this is no doubt a very, very contentious moral issue. It's also a political issue. And you've been very straightforward and vocal about it. Give us a sense for how, if you will, religion and politics mix on this issue. Well, Colonel North, as you know, our founders believed that without religion, without morality, at the basis of this great experiment of self-governance that they were initiating, it could not possibly succeed. And we can think of it this way, a people cannot govern themselves if they don't know the difference between right and wrong, if they don't know what's really going to be for the good of themselves, of their families, and of the nation. And this is where where religion and politics do, in fact, intersect. Not in the sense, as some think, that we want a theocracy, we don't want an official state religion, our founders were very opposed to that, but we do want a country rooted, as they expressed very clearly, in God and in our dependence upon God. And when we think about the, the, the human person and the choices we have to make, you know, we're members of, of a church and we're members of a state at the same time. A good citizen can be a good Christian. A good Christian can be a good citizen. And, uh, and, and this is where when, when I speak out about politics, as I often do, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, well, the church is becoming too political. You're giving political sermons. You're telling people about the elections. Church is becoming too political. My response is, it's not that the church is being too political. It's that our politics have become too pagan. And we are in a position where if we don't speak out about that, we're not being faithful to our Mm -hmm. calling. our, Our calling is not to stand on the platform of any particular political party, but on the platform of Jesus Christ. But when you have political parties that then Uh, contradict that platform, for example, abandoning the very duty to protect the most basic right we have, which is life itself, well, then if the church doesn't speak up about that, she's not being faithful to her mission as the church. You know, I I have the great blessing of being able to work for a very pro-life president, Ronald Reagan, right? And in fact, the very first time I marched on that January day, it was very cold, and nonetheless, tens of thousands of people showed up. But I have never seen a president as pro-life as this president. President Trump has gone further than anyone else. I, I wept, tough for Marine to admit, when he said every, every baby born or unborn is made in the image and likeness of God. Will Joe Biden do the same thing? He would never say that. He doesn't want to lift a finger to protect not a single baby. And this is the, the tragedy right now of our uh, in our day of the of the Democrat Party, they have gone so far outside the mainstream, and uh, nowhere more dramatically than on abortion. Uh, they don't they don't even want to protect the babies born alive after an abortion fails, as it sometimes does, and the baby is there on the table outside the mother's body, struggling to to live, and the law does not adequately protect those babies. There's some protection, but not enough. And uh, the Republicans have been trying to increase that protection. Democrats don't want to have a, a thing to say about it. No, you're absolutely right. President Trump 
has, I remember when I was serving in his first campaign as an advisor on pro-life matters, I was told, you know, if he's elected, he will do everything past pro-life presidents have done and more. And those words, and more, echo in my mind every day as I even find it hard to keep up with all the accomplishments, some of which make the headlines, you know, defunding uh, Planned Parenthood in many different ways, uh, giving the states the authority once again, which President Obama took away from them, to divert money away from the nation's largest abortion business, Planned Parenthood, uh, uh, working on the international level, not only reinstating the Mexico City policy, uh, but but expanding it to cover more money and more government uh, agencies, uh, working with uh, the uh, pro-life people throughout the world, defending not only their, their work, but their freedom to do their work, uh, urging Congress to take steps that are just so sensible, you know, to stop these late-term abortions. We start there. And uh, the the president has taken so many executive actions, too, just to strengthen our whole movement. Well, it's not only political. It's also legal. And you've taken these issues all the way to the Supreme Court. Tell our listeners about it. You know, uh, Colonel North, what people don't realize is that under President Obama, with Joe Biden right at his side, we in Priests for Life and many other Catholic and Christian ministries were told that we had to choose between following our faith and following the law. And it was in a very specific matter that we had to include certain forms of abortion in the health insurance plans we offer our employees. We employ about 50 people. And we always said, no, there's not going to be anything in there about about abortion. But they tried to force the, the issue. And so we and many other groups took it to court. This was back in 2011, 2012. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. It was only the election of President Trump that freed us from that, that HHS mandate, uh, if you will. But it was a, it was a classic biblical uh, confrontation between the forces of the state who were saying, oh, you know, this is not really a big deal. All you have to do is sign this form. And the forces of of faith, which were saying, you don't get to tell us what's a big deal. The government is not supposed to evaluate our our practice of the faith. They're supposed to protect it. And that's what we said. And the courts helped us. But it was President Trump that ended up changing that mandate. And so I always say, you know, I have his picture behind me here. And sometimes people ask me, Father Frank, how come you have the the President Trump behind? I said, listen, if he weren't where he is, we wouldn't be where we are. He has saved our ministry and countless other ministries from this oppression that the Democrat Party seems committed to uh, imposing on the church. Two final questions. Number one, tell our listeners and viewers how they get a copy of this great book. The book Abolishing Abortion, which they can get at abolishingabortion.com, is a manifesto. It, It answers the question, what does the church and what does the state need to do next in this tremendous effort to bring protection to our youngest, smallest brothers and sisters and to end abortion. It will show you some of the latest strategies. It will fire you up to be a part of this great cause. You know, Padre, 50 years from now, my 18 grandkids are going to be studying about this extraordinary time in our nation's history. What do you want them to know about what you, Father Pavone, did during this time? Colonel North, I remember an article that was written 
about some of my activities many years ago. It's on the, at, on the, at the outset of my full-time pro-life work. And it referred to me this way. The, the reporter said, well, Father Frank Pavone is one of the nation's top opponents of abortion. And I, and I read that and I said, you know what? That's what I want on my tombstone. He was one of our top opponents of abortion. I want to be known as somebody who, who did all that he could and played a part in ending the greatest human rights violation of our day. Well, as Paul, when he was writing to Timothy in what was probably his last letter, he described himself as a person who fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. And God knows, brother, you've certainly done that. I appreciate very much the time you took to be with us today. Well, thank you for all that you've done, and thanks for having me on today. It's a pleasure. Folks, if this Real American Heroes special broadcast has been informative, helpful, or encouraging to you, take time now to subscribe and let me know how these unprecedented events have affected you and yours. By doing so, you'll become part of this historical record of how America persevered and once again prospered. Until next time, remember, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life.